What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook. Earlier this year, I spoke at the UK Health Coaches Association Conference, and the keynote speaker at that conference was Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, my guest on the podcast today. Dr. Chatterjee is a British physician, author, TV presenter, and podcaster. He's best known for his TV show, Doctor in the House. He's also the resident doctor on BBC One's Breakfast Show, and he's regularly on radio. He's also got a best-selling book called The Four Pillar Plan, which in the U.S. is called How to Make Disease Disappear. And at the time that we're recording this interview, he's just releasing his latest book, The Stress Solution. Now, all of that sounds great and very impressive, but really, Dr. Chatterjee is a well-printer, and this is why I wanted to have him on the show, because he trained as a physician, he works with patients individually, as they do, as doctors do, and here in England, he works within the National Health Service, the NHS. But what makes Dr. Chatterjee truly a well-printer is that he's looking at his career in a different light, and he wanted to see how he could impact the most people. And so we talk in this interview about his journey from just being a normal GP, which let me just say, for those of you not in the UK, GP just means general practitioner. It's like the equivalent of your primary care physician, right? It's the normal doctor that we'd see if you just need to go to the doctor in the UK, but we refer to it as a GP here. So that term comes up a couple times in our interview. But he went from just the standard GP practice to reaching people on such a larger level through television, through radio, through writing, and through podcasting. So that's one of the things that we definitely dig into in this episode is how he even envisioned that that could be a career plan. Now, the other reason I wanted to have Dr. Chatterjee on the podcast is because he is a huge fan of health coaching. Now, this is so cool to see any physician, but also one in such an influential position to really talk about the role of health coaches in the world. And we're going to talk about that quite a bit in this interview as well. And just so you know that the way he's talking about how health coaches and doctors can work together, that's not just limited to the UK. This is something that could work around the world in a variety of different healthcare systems where doctors are overworked and they just don't have the training or the time to spend with patients to help them make lifestyle change. And that's where health coaches can really provide the most value. So in this interview, we're talking about Dr. Chatterjee's own journey. We're talking about stress and some ways that he manages stress. And one thing I thought's really cool is that he's really into the idea of touch and using touch to help reduce stress which is something so simple that we can all incorporate into our lives. We're talking a lot about how health coaches can work with doctors, his vision that there'll be a health coach in every doctor's office in the UK within the next few years. And then, of course, as a well we're talking about his own habits and routines for being well as an entrepreneur. 
There is so much goodness in this episode. I really can't wait to have you listen to it and to then have you come over to our Wellpreneur community group on Facebook and let's talk about these ideas and how we can really connect with the more traditional medical community to expand our well-being work. Also, you should know that this episode is the final episode in season four of the Wellpreneur podcast. So that means I get to take a little bit of a break. Actually, I don't get to take that much of a break because I'll be busy recording interviews during the break for season five. So don't worry, the podcast will be back in early 2019 after a short break. But until then, you can catch up on some of the episodes that you've missed. And of course, you can find us in the Wellpreneur community group on Facebook. Also, don't forget that this time of year is perfect for planning and making sure that you've got a marketing plan to really grow your business. I've just recently released my Wellpreneur Planner, which is available on Amazon worldwide, and it walks you step-by-step. It's like a workbook and a planner, helping you build out your marketing plan for an incredible year next year. And just so you know, there's no dates on the planner, so you can start it anytime. There are a lot of us who have the planner in the community group. So if you get your own copy and you want to come find a planning buddy or ask some questions, watch some of the Facebook lives that I've done, definitely just pop over to our Wellpreneur community group on Facebook and jump into the conversation. Okay, I just want to get straight into this interview now because it is so good. There's so much goodness. I can't wait for you to hear it. Here is my conversation with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. So we actually met last month, I guess, at a Health Coach Association conference here in the UK, which was really cool to hear you talk and see you in person, not on the screen. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was it was a real pleasure to get the keynotes at that UK Health Coaches annual conference because, yes, as a doctor, I've been talking about, you know, getting to the root cause of patients' problems. I'm a big advocate for nutrition and lifestyle as first-line interventions that we should use with all of our patients. But, you know, really, over the last years, it's become clear that, yes, doctors need more information in this area, and we need to start those conversations off because we have, you know, we have a certain place in the minds of a lot of our patients, and they obviously respect and listen to what we have to say. But actually, how do you actually convert that information and that knowledge into behavior change? And and that's where I think health coaches come in in a huge, huge way. I think they can be a real asset here in the UK for the NHS, but all over the world as well. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to talk about the health coaching and how you perceive that as a physician. But before we get into that, you know, there's people listening all over the world. So I always like to start off by saying, how do you explain what you do? How do you introduce yourself? Yeah, I think it changes every time I get asked this question, actually. Uh, The first thing to say is I have been a medical doctor for nearly 20 years now. So, you know, I'm a GP, I'm an author, I'm a TV presenter, I'm a podcast host. I do lots of different things, but they all have the same goal, really, which is to empower every single person who comes across my work to be the architect of their own health. I think a lot of people feel that health is something that happens to them, that they don't have much control over. But really, I want to reshape the way every single person views that and thinks that, hey, you know what? I actually have the power to make some changes that are really going to impact not only the way I feel today, but also the way I feel in the long term. And really, that's what I'm about. I want to inspire people. I want to educate people. I want to make them feel that they've got control because I find that when you do that, people want to make change. And in many ways, they get more out of their lives. Mm -hmm. 
I'm curious about your journey, uh, you know, from a career perspective to how you got here, because you don't have a tip. Yes, you're a GP, but you also do all this other stuff, right? TV shows and writing and podcasts. How did I mean, how did that happen? Did you always know you wanted to do more than just be in general practice or how did that evolve? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Not at all. I, I had no idea. I you know, I came from a medical family. So, you know, my parents were immigrants to the UK in the, in the 1960s and 1970s. And I grew up around doctors. You know, that's what I knew. So for me, getting the grades and getting to medical school actually was no big deal. And I don't say that with any arrogance at all. I mean that I was very lucky in terms of my upbringing, you know, the school I went to, the education I had. So I just sort of stumbled into medical school. You know, yes, I've always you know, had a passion to care for people. But I don't really feel that when I left medical school, I, don't, I had no desire to be on television. I had no desire to be a best-selling author, to host my own podcast, anything like that. Those things have just happened as I have started to get to know myself better and how I've you know, really got frustrated with the way that medicine is practiced in so many different ways. And for me, there was a couple of really quite key turning points. One of them was the fact that my father, who, as I said, was a doctor, he had to retire with ill health when he was 59 years old. I was at medical school. Was, you know, he was very unwell. It was a big problem for the family. You know, we were very, very worried. And dad, for 15 years, was on a dialysis machine. He had lupus. And I actually moved back to the northwest of England to help my family care for my father. So, you know, being a carer for such a long period of time and seeing how great modern medicine can be for so many things, but also where its gaps were, I think really influenced me. And then the other big incident was my son, when he was six months old, he you know, is really unwell, actually. We, my wife and I were on holiday in France and he stopped moving. He had a convulsion. He was in a hospital, a foreign hospital for about five days. We were really, really worried we might lose him. He had a couple of lumbar punctures, blood tests, all kinds of things. And it turned out that he actually had no calcium in his body or very little calcium in his body that was secondary to a vitamin deficiency. And really, for me, that was a huge turning point because I thought, well, look, I was trained to be a specialist. I used to do um, kidney medicine. I've got an immunology degree. I then moved to general practice. And how could it be that with all my so-called, you know, prestigious qualifications, I was unable to prevent my own son, you know, ha have problems from a preventable vitamin deficiency. And so modern medicine saved his life for sure in that moment, but didn't teach me or didn't give me any tools. Well, how long has that deficiency been, been there? Um, could that have impacted his immune system? Could that be a reason why he's got eczema, et cetera, et cetera? And I really went on a journey. I started to become obsessed with reading about nutrition, about the vitamin deficiency, about the immune system. And as I went on this journey, which frankly was my commitment to my son and to myself that I was going to get him back to full health as if none of this had ever happened, I learned a lot of new science, a lot of new tools and techniques. I thought, well, why do I not know any of this as a doctor? And I applied those principles with my son. He today is an eight-year-old boy who is thriving, his eczema you know, barely exists anymore. He's doing really, really well. I applied those same principles with myself, with my family. We all feel better. Our health is improving. We're getting more out of life. And I apply the same principles with my patients. And you know, I've never had this much passion for medicine because now I don't just simply prescribe a pill multiple times throughout the day. Of course, that has value in some instances, 
But more often than not, I'm helping my patient understand what is the root cause of their problem? Why are they sick? And what can they do to actually gain some sort of sense of control? So hopefully they can reduce how much they're affected. And hopefully, in many cases, they can actually reverse their illness and their, and their symptoms. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because the something like looking at nutrition and the impact on health, I think for those of us listening who are very much in that world, it seems so obvious. You know, it seems so, yes, of course, it has this impact, but that's not what is talked about a lot in when you go to the doctor's office. There's still, unfortunately, quite a large reliance on um, pharmaceuticals. And so I'm just curious, like, as you've started, you, you've really made this your platform and your mission, and obviously you're impacting patients, but I'm curious what what reactions you get from other doctors or just how that, that how that's gone. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been mixed, really. I mean, I've got to say, by and large, it's been very positive. You know, some of your listeners may not know I had in 2015, 2016, and 2017, I had my own BBC One primetime documentary series, which went out here in the UK each week uh, called Doctor in the House. And actually, people can still see those episodes on YouTube, actually. But essentially, I would go and spend four to six weeks with families and patients who had you know, who'd been struggling with their health for years, they'd already been under their GP, already were under specialists, already were taking medication, yet despite that, they were still struggling. And really, it was one of the most transformative experiences of my entire life. I felt very lucky to have the opportunity because I got to go, you know, go behind the curtain. I got to see what is really going on in people's lives, not what they tell me in the consultation room. What is it like in their house? What are the family dynamics like? What are the stress levels like? What are they eating? Not what they tell me they're eating. What are they eating? And that show went out to about 5 million viewers each week here in the UK. It's been shown in 70 countries around the world now. And, you know, I managed to help a lady reverse her type 2 diabetes within 30 days. I managed to help a lady who had a 10-year history of fibromyalgia and all kinds of other problems and was on 20 pills a day. I helped her within six weeks become completely pain-free. And two years on, she's managed to come off all her medications, which is just incredible. I helped a lady with anxiety and panic attacks who'd been under doctors before, tried antidepressants, had tried to access counseling. Again, we managed to reduce them by about 70% in six weeks, simply by addressing nutrition and lifestyle. And, and, And the list goes on. And the point is, is that I find that when you talk about finding the root cause, rather than trying to label what you do, it's quite difficult to find fault with it. If we try and label what we do, and then you know, sometimes that gets people's backs up straight away. They say, well, what is that? What is that kind of medicine? I just call this good medicine. I mean, my job as a doctor is to try and get my patients better. If I can do that with as harmless an intervention as possible, in as risk-free a way as possible, so much the better. And that's all I would do. So you can't have that much exposure and present some unconventional views to the mainstream public without getting some pushback. So sure, I got some pretty nasty tweets at various times. I got a bit of pushback from from various people, but by and large, it's been positive. And, you know, I've got to say that I think that was a real turning point here in the UK because the amount of doctors, medical students, pharmacists, health coaches that contacted me say, well, how we love all that. How can we do this in real life, not just on a TV show? And that's really what I've been committed to over the last few years. It's why I uh, wrote my very first book, The Four Pillar Plan, which came out in the UK in January 2018. And it's become one of the biggest selling books in the UK over the last five years. Thousands of doctors, health coaches, nutrition professionals are now using that as their go-to book 
with their clients, with their patients. I know that's also happening in America where the book was released with the title, How to Make Disease Disappear. So many health coaches are using that because what I've tried to do is simplify health. You know, all the arguments over what's the best diet, I try to cut through all that and go, actually, the core principles of health are very, very simple. They have not changed in hundreds of years. What has changed is our environment. So we just need a little bit of a reminder of going back to basics. And I think that's why the book has actually not only been a success with the public, but it's also been a huge success with healthcare professionals. You know, not a day goes by where I don't get a tweet from another healthcare professional who's using the book with their patients. A few weeks ago, a consultant pediatrician in Birmingham tweeted me to say, we're using your book before for the plan in our headache clinics. And we've managed to get three kids fully better from their headaches that we've not managed to prior to that when we were trying with medications. And it makes me really, really excited. I've also um, created, with the Royal College of GPs, the very first prescribing lifestyle medicine course in the UK. And again, this year alone, we've trained about 400 doctors. Next year, we're hoping to train 500 plus doctors. And they all love the course, whether they're GPs, psychiatrists, cardiologists, gastroenterologists. It doesn't matter because everyone in medicine is starting to realize that our tools are brilliant, but they can be somewhat limited for many of the chronic lifestyle-driven problems we're now seeing. So really, my mission is to try, as as we said right at the top of the show, is to help empower as many people as possible. And that's why I do it, whether it's with TV shows, whether it's with my Instagram and Facebook feeds, whether it's with my Feel Better Live More podcast, whether it's with my books. I just want to give out as much information as possible to help people because it's not only about health. You know, that's often what people miss. When you feel better, you get more out of life. You know, so don't realize that, you know, they're, they're arguing, they're not being productive, they're having relationship difficulties. Often that comes because they're not feeling as good as they could. And once you show them how they can feel as good as they could, actually everything else in their life starts to become better. Yeah, that's so absolutely true. I think many people listening will have had their own health challenges. And it's so clear that once you start to bring your health into line, it just shifts everything when you feel better. I want to talk about health coaching for a bit. And just you as a GP, like, how do you see, I mean, keep in mind, we've got an audience all over the world, but I'm just thinking like, how can health coaches really start to show up for their doctors in their local area and say, hey, we are a resource. What's the best way to, to approach them? How do, you, how do you look at that issue? Hey, look, health coaches, I think, are, I think they're key, not only in the UK, all around the world. Because let's think about this. A lot of people now these days are interested in their lifestyle. Sure, we need to get the information out to more people. But, you know, there's a growing interest in what people can be doing to help themselves. But there's a gap, isn't there, between knowledge and action. And that gap is about personalizing behavior change. Why do people often know what they should be doing, but can't actually put it into practice in real life? And I think that's where health coaches come in. You know, they've got the skill set to not only know those lifestyle changes, but also they know how to personalize, how to tweak it to make it relevant for the person in front of them. And I think that's key. You know, we can give out general public health advice, but often it's just not relevant to the person who's sitting in front of you. I find I can get really good compliance with my patients because I spend time trying to figure out why it means something to them. And I really try to tap into that and then personalize it so that they feel it's relevant in the context of their own lives. Now, the reality is, is that the medical system is the way they're set up. 
even if doctors get empowered with lifestyle medicine information, they probably don't have enough time to really help their patient make that change. So the way I see it is that doctors can start you know, having that conversation within their consultation room and then pass it on and signpost that patient to a health coach, where the health coach can spend more time and really dig in deep with that person how they can make that behavior change. I've spoken to many health coaches, both in the UK, but also in America, where I spent a lot of time. I've got to say, they just come across to me as absolutely fantastic, really well-trained, really motivated. Many of them, like myself, have got a personal story as to why they want to help people. And I think that personal story really helps because if you've been through it yourself, you get it. You're much more likely to be able to engage your clients, engage your patients in a much better way. So yeah, I know you've got an audience all over the world, but let's take the UK for a minute where we have the National Health Service. I can foresee in a few years' time, or hopefully sooner, that in every single GP practice around the country, there is at least one health coach there. So the doctors who are interested in lifestyle change can bring it up in the consultation room, and then there is somewhere for that patient to go when they need further help. So yeah, huge amount of health coaches. I'm talking to the UK Health Coaches Association. We're going to try and do but it worked together going forward to really help raise awareness for them and also to try and get them into national health service practices. Well, what I'm hearing from you is it's important that health coaches know what their role is and what they're good at. And so I think if you were a health coach approaching a doctor or a practice about wanting to offer your services, the key is that you're helping to tailor and implement like the doctor's advice right? And you're helping the patient actually to take that advice and implement it into their lifestyle. You're not necessarily recommending all these holistic things that the doctor might be uncomfortable with, right? So that's really the role is taking this general advice and customizing it and helping them make it real. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the way you could could talk to a a health coach, you could talk to a doctor. uh, And in every practice, there's at least one or two open-minded doctors who are really open to this movement. And it's really a case of saying, look, I get it that, you know, you're going to come up with your recommendations. You've got a lot of type 2 diabetic patients, a lot of obese patients. You know, that is something I can really help with. You know, if you feel that there are patients there who you feel actually you want to give that lifestyle advice to, but you don't either have time to implement it or the, even the expertise to go through it, feel free to pass them on to me. I can spend an hour with the patient. I can really dive deep and help them personalize those recommendations in their own life. and. I think, you know, most doctors these days, um, no matter where they're working, are feeling overworked, burnt out, stressed. You know, I think most doctors would welcome having someone to take some of that pressure off them, particularly that's going to help uh, benefit their patients. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you touched on a word there that I want to shift to next, which is the concept of being stressed. And I think doctors are feeling stressed. Unfortunately, those of us in the wellness industry building our businesses still feel stressed sometimes, right? And stress is a huge issue, and it's the topic of your latest book. So how did this come up? How did you decide to focus on stress? Yes, it's a really great question, That I think, you know, if we were having this interview five or six years ago, and you asked me, what is the single biggest lifestyle cause of the bulk of the patients you see? I would have said food. I thought, yeah, it's the food that they're eating. But I've actually changed my mind because... We're living now in a culture where stress is endemic. Not a day will go by. In fact, any listener today, I'm sure they'll know that they just, during the course of today, in, in just normal interactions, they will talk to people, you know, how are you doing? Look, so many people will say, yeah, 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 I'm busy, a little bit stressed, but I'm doing okay. You know, it's just common parlance now to say, I am stressed. And why I think that stress is probably the biggest factor that affects my patients today is that 
in such a stressed out culture where we don't have time to nourish ourselves, where we don't have time to do the things that we need to do to keep ourselves grounded, we're often compensating for that stress with our lifestyle choices. We're often getting those sugary treats in the evening because we've been so stressed. It's just a, a quick fix way of feeling a little bit better, of helping us feel that we're doing something that gives us a little bit of pleasure. And, you know, the World Health Organization recognizes, they have said recently that stress is the health epidemic of the 21st century. And your audience is uh, wellness entrepreneurs. So it's a real clash that because on one hand, everyone's preaching wellness like myself. On the other hand, we all struggle with the workloads and the fact that we have to promote ourselves on social media. We have to write blogs. We have to get back to our clients and our patients who email us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, running your own business, trying to help people can actually be incredibly stressful. And, you know, stress is everywhere. A study in the, I think it was a journal of the American Medical Association said a few years ago that up to 80 or 90% of all complaints that come to a GP's office are in some way related to stress. And that's an incredible figure. And that absolutely fits what I see on a day-to-day basis. You know, whether it's people coming in with things like this, they feel a bit low, anxiety, they have a poor memory, inability to concentrate, they can't sleep. They might have a low libido. They might have gut problems such as irritable bowel syndrome. They might even have a condition called type 2 diabetes. Actually, all of those conditions that seem unrelated in so many ways, for many of us at their core, they have stress as a root cause. And you can really, once you start looking at conditions through the lens of stress, you can see it everywhere. But the reason I wrote the book, The Stress Solution, and I'm really, really proud of this book, I really think it builds on what I laid out as my foundation in in my first book is what we can do to actually lower stress levels. And like everything that I put out there, it's about simple and accessible changes that everybody can do. These are changes that I haven't just fabricated in my head. These are changes that, you know, in nearly 20 years of clinical practice, I've seen that these things work for real people in real life, with busy jobs, with busy family lives. And that's really what what dictates everything I try and put out there to the public. It's, you know, I'd love to say we, we you know, that meditating for two hours each day and going on a yoga retreat would be lovely. You know, I'd love to do that every day. I'd be completely calm if I did that. But who's going to be able to do that in the real world? And then most of my recommendations take under 15 minutes, maybe under 10 minutes, and they're very achievable. So I think this book is going to be incredibly useful for the public, for healthcare practitioners. I know many of them, I believe, are going to start prescribing this book to their clients because I've really tried to simplify stress, where stress exists in the modern world, and why this book is relevant for everyone, even if people don't feel they're stressed. I rarely meet someone where stress is not affecting their health in some kind of negative way. Mm-hmm. One thing I really liked of what you did in this book is that you didn't just focus on the mental part, because a lot of times the common advice when you're stressed is like meditation, which is great, right? You've been doing a short bit of meditation, but there's so much more. So you divided it into four areas. So the mind, the body, like nutrition and things like that, relationships and purpose. So how does I'm curious about purpose and relationships, because those are two sections I wouldn't have thought would naturally be in the book, Um, although they're very important when you think about them. It makes sense. But can you talk about those two and how you can with those? Well, when I try and simplify a subject area, I really try to think of it in broad terms. What's going on here? And and the reason I came up with these four pillars or these four stress superhighways, body, mind, purpose and relationships, is really because I wanted to I wanted to help people understand where 
stress sits within their life. And I think it's just a very simple way of identifying some core areas that they can work on. Now, you're right. The ones, the two pillars we started the book with actually are purpose and relationships. Now, relationships, I think, is a is a huge thing. There are three chapters in the relationships pillar, and one of them is on the importance of human touch. Now, you know, we have become a touch-averse society for many good reasons, actually, you know, with inappropriate touch and all kinds of things that have been going on. People now are quite scared of touching other people. And whilst I understand where this has come from, there are some very serious and negative consequences for our health. We need human touch. In fact, I spoke at length to one of the world's leading touch researchers, Professor Francis McLearn, and he really, a whole chapter is devoted to touch in my book. And it's about that in our skin, we have got a whole variety of different touch receptors and and touch nerve fibers. Now, there's one in our skin called the C-tactile afferents. Now, why that's relevant is that nerve fiber is optimally stimulated when it's stroked at three to five centimeters per second. Now, that is the speed at which a mother would intuitively stroke her baby. So we've got this stuff is hardwired within us. And actually, those touch fibers go all the way up to our brain into the most primitive part of our brain, the emotional brain. And actually, when you are stimulating those nerve fibers, you lower cortisol levels, which is the one of the primary stress response hormones in the body. So in that chance, I really try and make the case that touch, human touch is as important for our bodies as the food that we eat. Because the whole conversation around wellness always, always, in the bulk of cases, gets limited down to food. Sometimes exercise gets a look in, but people aren't talking about sleep, they're not talking about stress, they're not talking about human touch. And these things are critical. And one thing we can all do is just make a, a list of how many times we've had human touch in the day. You know, keep a touch diary, as I call it, and actually try and double that within a week, try and triple it by the week after, try and quadruple it by the end of the month. And it's just simple things like when you see your friends, and I guess females probably do this a little bit more naturally than guys, but when you see your friends, give them a hug. You don't have to be so uh, scared of human contact. You know, if we're, you know, I remember as a, as a doctor, as a young doctor, if I was giving bad news to a patient, I'd come in close, you know, my, my voice would go a bit softer. I'd probably put my hand on their shoulder or their upper back just to reassure them. You know, as culture changes, I'm really scared to do that now. If part of the patients, particularly, I guess, if they're, you know, if they're the opposite sex, I'd be very nervous about doing that for fear of what the patient thought. And again, look, I'm, I'm not saying that that hasn't, you know, that there, there are reasons why this has come about. But I think all of us can probably learn to touch a little bit more when it's our, our partners, when it's with our children, even older children, even teenagers. You know, when you understand the science of these touch nerve fibers, as I sort of went through and, and dug in deep into the research, it has already changed how much I will touch my children, how much I will touch my wife, how much I will sort of have you know, human touch and hugs with my friends in a way that I probably didn't do before. So that's that's one thing about relationships. I guess another big thing about relationships is technology. Many of us now, well, in fact, all of us are probably having an eye affair with our smartphone and that we touch our Kirby phones more than we do our own partner. And it's uncomfortable for many of us. But the reality is, is that it's a cliche now that, you know, couples are lying in bed together at night, but everyone's on their own device. You know, they're, they're sort of, locked away in their own world and their own emails and their own Facebook feed. They can personalize their own experience 
to watch whatever show they want on Netflix while their partner can watch whatever they want. Well, has all of this personalization come at a cost? You know, 15, 20 years ago, after dinner, a couple might actually sit down and put on television and have to mutually agree what program they are going to watch together. And, you know, that would bring them closer, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's a big issue. I think a little tip for people is, you know, if you haven't seen a friend or you're in a social engagement or you haven't seen your partner for a few hours, you try to have a, a really meaningful interaction with them when you see them. So what I mean by that is you don't come in when you're sort of half checking your emails, half trying to check your Instagram feed, but also saying hi at the same time. And look, I'm not criticizing. I have done that. I still do that from time to time. You know, I find it as hard as anyone else finds it. But really, it's about putting that phone away, being present in those relationships that mean something to us. And it, it doesn't actually have to take that long. We can have simple rules like over the dinner table. There is no technology at our table. You know, I'm, we don't have phones. We don't have iPads. It is a quiet time where we're going to connect with everyone else in the family. These are simple things that were de rigueur about 20 years ago. And as society has changed, as culture has changed, we need to remind ourselves of how easy it is to get back to that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In our uh, last few minutes together, I'd like to talk about you as a wellpreneur, because you are, right? Working, you're an entrepreneur in the field of wellness. So I'm curious your habits. Like, how do you, do you believe in this idea of work-life balance? And how do you, what kind of rituals and routines do you have to keep yourself well? as you're growing your business and helping people? Yeah, sure. Well, look, first of all, yeah, I absolutely do believe in work-life balance. I guess as my career has changed, my work now doesn't feel like work, which I think I'm very lucky to be in that position. Whereas I think seven, eight years ago, my work felt like work. So I'd come back tired, frustrated, frustrated at the medical system, frustrated at all the, all the paperwork that I felt that I had to do that I didn't think was helping my patients. But as I have found real purpose in my life, which is you know another big part of my book, The Stress Solution, it's, it's how important finding that purpose is. And not everyone, by the way, has to find it with their work. You know, you may have a job that you don't actually like. You can find meaning and purpose in something else, whether it's a hobby that you do in your spare time or, or something else. But I think finding some sort of meaning and purpose is really important and key for work-life balance. But for me, you know, as I moved from being a more of a conventional doctor into being uh, an entrepreneur in the wellness space, you know, it's easy to overwork. It's easy to get up first thing in the morning and get on your emails and about what you're going to post today, try and catch up, do a bit of writing, you know, and often that can go on all day, right until the evening, Saturday, Sunday, the same. So I've certainly overworked to my detriment. So I've got a really nice practice going on at the moment uh, that I call zoning in in my book, which is you know, about protecting that first, ideally the first hour of the day, but even the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of the day, if you could protect that and actually use it to nourish yourself, I think it can have real incredible value for the rest of the day. Now, I've been trying to do this for a number of months, but I've actually currently have managed to really lock it in for over a month now. So I'm hoping this means it's starting to become a habit. And I get up really, and it's about, it's a little bit like a morning routine. But I think that what you need in a morning routine is what I call the three M's of the morning routine. The first M is for meditation. The second M is for movement. And the third M is for mindset. So currently, I will wake up. I will come downstairs in my house. And I will go and sit in the living room and meditate for 10 to 15 minutes. Sometimes I do it without anything. Sometimes I do it with a calm meditation app. And when the calm meditation app goes, I'm very, I'm very keen to emphasize that my phone is in airplane mode. So I can't see emails. I can't see texts. 
I can't start to get distracted by what the world wants me to get distracted by. So I have 10 to 15 minutes of meditation, then I will do 10 to 15 minutes of movement. Just simple body weight movements, hip movements, some stretches, maybe some yoga poses, maybe some wrist circles, some hip circles, just really nice gentle movements. I'll often put on some uh, relaxing music at the same time. And then after that, and often, if I'm honest, my daughter, who's five, has actually come down by this point. I, I, I don't try to sneak up early and get down before the kids are up, the kids are awake. But sometimes she comes in in the middle of my movement stuff and she just joins me, which is great. But then the final M is mindset. And that's really about either doing some reading, where you're reading some really positive books, and really, which are helping to broaden your horizons and put you in a positive frame of mind. But sometimes it's saying things like affirmations, you know, short powerful, positive statements. And I started doing this with my daughter, you know, just literally a couple of hours ago before we recorded this. Again, my daughter was down and we just sat there, looked at each other, held our hands and said, you know, I'm happy, I'm loved, I'm safe. I'm happy, I'm loved, I'm safe. And this is something I say to my kids on a regular level. So this is just something I try and do yesterday, but also for me to just put me in a really positive frame of mind. I can tell you, you know, yes, at the moment, my morning routine has taken about 25 to 30 minutes. But you can also make this work in 10 minutes. You can do two minutes of meditation. You can do two minutes of deep breathing, two minutes of movements. You know, there are so many ways to, to sort of mix this up. The, the key point, though, is I think we all benefit from protecting the first few minutes of our day. Otherwise, we're on reactive mode and our stress levels will rise and they will continue to rise for the bulk of the day. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I always ask that question at the end of interviews, and it, by the vast majority of people have some way that they have a ritual to start their day and protect that time. Like, I think maybe once or twice somebody said, oh, yeah, I check my phone first thing. Well, you know, we all check our phone first thing. Sometimes we all fall back into that. But hey, I, I do it sometimes. And, and what the interesting thing is, I have been doing, like I'm sure many of my patients, I've been yo-yoing through this. Some, some weeks I do it, some days, other days I don't. But bit by bit, you do it and you start to observe and think, actually, when I do it in the morning, I'm like a different person. I'm more calm with my children. I'm more present with my wife. I'm less reactive to the work emails. And you think, actually, just having 10 minutes leads to the following 12 hours being so much more productive and calm that it's, it, you know, I've got to the stage finally where I feel I'm starting to lock this in as a habit. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of goes in waves, I think, with what's going on in your life. But once you feel the impact, then it really makes it, it makes you come back to it. So that's great. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here with us. This has been a great interview. And I think I really wanted to have you on, not because you're an interesting wellpreneur, but also because I think your books are such useful tools for the wellpreneurs out there to use with their clients. So we'll definitely link up all of that in the show notes, share them in our community so that people can use those as resources. So can you just tell everyone what's your podcast, where to get in touch, how to find your books, all that good stuff? Yeah, sure. Okay. So my podcast is called Feel Better, Live More. You can find that in any podcast app. You just type in my name or Feel Better, Live More. I'm on Facebook and Instagram with the handle Dr. Chatterjee, D-R, and then C-H-A-T-T-E-R-J-E-E, -E -E, and on Twitter with the handle at Dr. Chatterjee UK. Everything about me is on my website, drchastity.com, all the links to buy the books. And obviously the books, you can pretty much get all over the world now. The Four Pillar Plan, How to Make Disease Disappear, but also my brand new book, The Stress Solution. If you just go to your local bookstore, certainly here in the UK or onto Amazon or some other online store, without you'll be able to find them there. 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And there you go. That's a wrap. This is the end of season four of the Wellpreneur podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me this season. And don't worry, I will be back in early 2019. I don't have an exact date yet because I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to book all the interviews, but fear not, I'll be back. And if you really want more Wellpreneur goodness, there's like over 200 episodes that you can listen to. So you can go back and start at the beginning if you want. If you do that, come into the Facebook group and tell me because that's really awesome. But you'll definitely find me hanging out in our Facebook group, which is called the Wellpreneur Community on Facebook. You can just type it in and you have to request to join. It's a totally promo free zone. So except on Wednesdays, we allow promotion in one thread, but the rest of the time, it's all this community of wellness entrepreneurs from around the world, asking questions, helping each other, learning and doing our planners. So if you get your own copy of the Wellpreneur Planner, which is available on Amazon worldwide, then you can jump into the planning conversation too and plan your own incredible 2019. Thanks so much for being here and being part of the podcast community. I really wouldn't have a show without you as a listener. So I really appreciate that you take the time to include me in your day. Have a wonderful end of the year, and I can't wait to see what you're going to create in 2019. I will see you back here after a short break with season five. Have a good one. Bye.